Alright, we're going to get into it. If you want to come and grab a seat, we're going to read from God's Word. We hold at City Light that the Bible is God's Word, and as it's read faithfully and taught, it's God speaking to us. And the reading today will actually come from Acts 20. But before we get there, we're up to the section in the book of Acts where Paul, uh, who was formerly named Saul, has come to know Jesus, someone who was formerly killing Christians, and has come to know the forgiveness of Jesus and become a follower of Jesus rather than a murderer of the follower of, followers of Jesus. And over chapters 13 and 14, what we see is Paul heading out. Now, I imagine that most people here aren't super familiar with ancient Near Eastern geography, and so we'll have a map come up on the screen for you. Um, but over, over the... Um, over this journey, and it will come up on the screen for you there. Over this journey, Paul starts out in a city called Antioch. And from there, he moves out to Seleucia, which is a port city. And he begins his missionary journey. And the first stop is on the island of Cyprus. When he gets there, he has a run-in with a false prophet um, who he denounces. And a significant a sort of uh, a community figure comes to know Jesus on that island. And then he and Barnabas continue to move through the island of Cyprus from one end to the other, evangelizing basically the whole island. When they get to the other side, uh, when they get to Paphos, they then take a boat ride up to Perga, up to the region which is modern-day Turkey. And when he gets there, he heads straight to a major city which is called Antioch, Antioch of a different region. And he gathers there mostly in synagogues to meet other Jewish people and tell them the message of Jesus, that their saviour has come and he can be known. And in that city, uh, so many are gathered, they say virtually the whole city came to meet them to hear this. But when they did, the Jews and the religious authorities uh, gathered against them and basically ran them out of town. And so they moved along to Iconium. And there again it happens. And so they moved on to a town called Lystra. And in Lystra, the people who had, been, who had risen up against Paul and Barnabas in the previous two cities gather together at that city, confront Paul, and stone him almost to death. In fact, the only reason they stopped beating him was because they thought he was actually dead. When he is lying there still, the other brothers, the disciples, gather him. He mends his wounds and moves on to the city of Derby. And then, if you can believe it, empowered by the Spirit, he goes back to the city of Lystra, preaches the gospel there again, goes back through all the other cities that they've just been kicked out of and threatened with violence in every single city. And as he does that, goes through the cities, and we're told he appoints elders in every city. And the reason he does this is for the health of the church in those regions. He appoints leadership over each church so that they may continue to grow in his absence, that they wouldn't be dependent on him. And as he heads back to Antioch, where he started the journey, those churches continue to grow. And the section that we're going to read from is from Acts chapter 20. And by this point, the gospel has spread throughout the whole region. It's even made it as far almost as Rome. And he gathers together in Ephesus, which again is in Turkey, and he gathers the leaders together and the elders of the churches that he's planted. And he gives them one last speech, knowing that he'll probably never see them again because he's going to be arrested and he's probably going to die. And so we pick this up from sentence 17 in chapter 20. Acts 20, 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, 
You know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with the trials that come to me through the plots of the Jews. And I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable, or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I'll encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit testifies to me to the chains and afflictions that are awaiting me. But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased by his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. And men from among yourselves will rise up with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each of you with tears. And now I commit to God and to, I commit you to God and to the message of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who are with me. In every way I have shown you that by laboring like this it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone, and embracing Paul, they kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. This is the word of God. Well, good afternoon. Uh, my name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, great to have you with us here this afternoon. Hope you're enjoying your cereal. Um, I know I did. I love cereal. I can hear the clanking of glasses go as you're eating your cereal, so enjoy that. It's a it's good job, bought off in small group with cereal. Good idea. Well done. Well done. Um, uh, as just mentioned, we're jumping around a bit in the book of Acts today, uh, looking at this, this topic of leadership, really. Um, and uh, leadership in the church. And as hopefully as Jess said, you would know that we are in the process of um, changing our leadership structure here at City Light. And so I just want to talk today a little bit about uh, what leadership looks like uh, from the Bible, um, what sort of character leaders should have, um, and the role of that. Um, and so uh, you might think, oh, that's not, that's not super exciting, but I think that... Um, it's a good way to start, isn't it? I'll switch off now, have a sleep, because we've got half an hour into it. Um, but I think this is really going to set us up for the future going forward. I think it's really important that you trust and you uh, have confidence in the leadership of church as we go forward. Um, so I want to try and show you that today and show you what God has to say about leadership. Uh, so let me pray, and then we'll have a look at this. Father, we want to, we want to thank you that... Um, that your word uh, speaks in every sphere of life, in every sphere of church life. 
And so, Father, today we want to ask that we would uh, do the hard work to understand what you have to say about leadership in your church. We want to pray that we remember it's your church, you build your church, and you appoint leaders over that church. And so we want to pray, Father, we would be in line with that, and we would have a look at what has to say about leaders, about their character, about their heart, about how they lead, about their roles, and that we'd be a church that is in line with your will. Um, We want to pray that we'd be a church that brings honor and glory to you, a church that truly is a light to this city, proclaiming the goodness of Christ to all people. So, Father, as we come to this topic today, we want to pray that you would speak to us, that you would reveal new truths to us, and above all, we would honor your name and fall more in love with you uh, because you are so worthy of that. So, Lord, bless our time we ask now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I wonder what your experience of, uh, of leadership has been. You know, we've all been under different types of uh, leadership styles. Uh, I'm sure you've been under a leader before who is a really strong leader. You know, it's their way or the highway a little bit. I remember being at high school and we had a, uh, we had a deputy principal who just put the fear in every, every kid at school. You know, if you saw him coming towards you, you would try and get out of the way of him because he would get you in trouble for something. Even if he had nothing wrong. He just, he's that sort of, he's that sort of teacher. And I, I, um, I was like that. I used to sort of move away when, when I used to see him coming. Uh, but as I've grown up, I have the same feeling when you're driving your car and a police car comes behind you and you think, he's going to get me for something. And you do nothing wrong, but you know that they may pull you over. It's like when I um, get pulled over for a random breath test. I, I don't drink alcohol, but I always think I'm going to blow like 0.10 here. Just somehow I'll get breath tested and I'm busted for sure. And this is, you know, that's what it feels like sometimes. But leadership style, you know, they have the, 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 uh, the very um, aggressive sort of leader. Then you have, you know, the sort of leadership style, the passive leader who hates making any decisions. You know, they keep saying things like, oh, whatever you like and whatever you, whatever you guys want to do. And, and they want to see what everyone else thinks. And I have a friend of mine who's just like this. Um, and when he's in, he's in charge, he just apologizes all the time. He says sorry about a thousand times. He'll call me and say, hey Gav, I'm so sorry for calling. I'm like, well don't call then. Like, you know, like, I what are you saying sorry for? You just called me. It's okay, man. And then, you know, can you do this? He'll say, can you do this, Gav? But I'm so sorry for asking. I'm so sorry. hope that's okay. Actually, I'll just do it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, man, it's fine. Just stop saying sorry because it annoys me. Just as the passive leader who hates upsetting people, right? Part of the leadership style. Then you have the disorganized sort of leader who's everyone's friend. Uh, you know, you turn for a meeting and there's nothing planned. The meeting goes for four hours. It's a lot of fun, a lot of jokes, but nothing gets done at the end of it. And you walk away going, what was the point of that? Oh, we had a fun time. Who cares? Lots of laughs. Nothing gets done. Then you have the leader, you know, a leadership style where the person who just loves being in a position of power and authority. And uh, you get into a meeting and they have name tags for everyone already. You know, you walk in, there's name tags. Like, oh, Great. And, uh, and then you, they've already delegated tasks to everybody, and you've got to, you've got to um, uh, report back to them because they're the hub of all things. And uh, they call the shots, and they're in demand, and they just love being in that position of power. I had a rugby coach who was similar to this uh, a little while ago when I, when I first started playing rugby union, and he loved this position of power and authority. And I remember being under his leadership, he would just be so pumped as a coach and he'd have all his plans before the game in the change room. He'd be just yelling and swearing at everyone, like, I'm on your team, why are you swearing at me for? And uh, he'd be trying to amp everyone up and he'd even train with us as well. And the train drills, he'd be the keenest, eagerest, most eager person out there. And he'd be so eager that he'd hurt other players, he'd hurt players that he's coaching. And on one day, one of our own players had enough and 
hit him, and then like a fight broke out. I'm like, what is happening? Where am I? And uh, but he was just too keen as a coach and too much uh, love being a coach too much. Uh, then you have the sort of leadership style. You have the self-appointed leader. And you most likely see these sort of people when you get in the whole dreaded group work at uni. You know, those people who likes group work sucks at uni, right? Everyone hates it. And you normally get the mature age student saying, yeah, I'll lead the group. I'll take it on for the team. It's like, oh, great. You know, and, uh, you know, and, and we, being in the Australian culture, we don't like tall poppies. So we want to cut them down. And so no one wants to listen to the mature age student. And this, you know, battle comes around and, you know, you want to get a good mark. And so group work, horrible. But you get that, that, that person who loves being that self-appointed leader. You know, there's, um, if we've, I'm sure we've been under all different types of leadership styles and uh, different leaders in our time, and we've been shaped by these experiences of leadership. I don't know, I have, I've been under leaders where I've liked certain styles and things I'd say, no, I wouldn't do that, and that's shaped uh, who I am and how I lead. Um, uh, but when it comes to church leadership, when you think about church leadership and being under a pastor or an elder or, or a minister or what you want to call it, I'm sure in a room like this, we would have had an experience of being in both the good and the really horrible. Uh, we'd have it all covered here, I think. I'm sure there's been a few of us, uh, or maybe even a lot of us, who have been under uh, great leaders and pastors uh, leading churches, and I'm sure they've played a huge part in our growth as followers of Jesus. Uh, but sadly, and, uh, and I, I say honestly sadly, that too many of us have been in a bad leadership where it's uh, really... Leadership has failed and uh, mistakes have been made and it has, deep, has hurt us deeply and the church of God deeply. And those of us who have experienced that, and I've talked to a few of you who have, it's really hard to trust leadership again. If you put yourself out there, you've been burnt, so why would you want to do that again with anybody? And I get that and that makes me so sad when I hear this because I see so many people who have been hurt by the church who no longer want to commit to a church ever again and by association they don't want to commit to Jesus anymore as well. And leadership goes bad. And so today, I just want to show you, um, and more to give you confidence of what City Light is like, and what we, what do we think about leadership here at City Light, and going forward as we change our governance structure, what are we aiming for as a church? So you can have confidence in that, uh, in the leaders here at church. So we're going to look at a few passages. I'm going to move around a little bit. And so uh, just so you can follow what I'm tracking, I'm going to give you three, three observations. Um, we ended up in three different passages, but there they are on the screen behind me. And that's the character of a leader. What does God say he wants his leaders to be like? Uh, how a leader is to lead and then the role of a leader. When you think about uh, leadership in the Bible um, and the character of a leader, the first thing that often pops out, or the, verse, or the chapter that comes out is 1 Timothy 3 where Paul uh, writes this uh, a letter to Timothy, Paul being quite old at this point, younger Timothy, uh, a young guy who's uh, starting up in ministry, and Paul wants to write and impart wisdom on him. And uh, he writes about leadership, and, uh, and they, uh, he lists these character traits to look for in a leader. And I love, I'm going to show you this list in a sec, um, and I love here that what Paul does is, is he picks up character issues, not skill issues. It's all about the heart and what a leader is like from within. Not about how good are they at preaching or with people or whatever. It's about the heart that really Paul emphasizes here. So have a look at this. It says this about a leader. Now the overseer or leader or elder, whatever you want to call it, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. 
if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's, God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become, become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And he must also have a good reputation with the outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into devil, the devil's trap. There are so many things there. Let me just quickly unpack a few of them and walk through what God is saying, what he wants his leaders to be like in a church. First, he says it must be above reproach. And I think what it's saying there is that you can't have an elder or a pastor or a leader who gets at the front and preaches these amazing sermons about, you know, love Jesus, and then throughout the week does nothing like that at all. Uh, or what God is upholding here is if they uh, talk the talk, they've got to walk the walk throughout the week as well. We're going to live that out. They must act with integrity and holiness, no matter who's looking, no matter who they're talking to. Uh, they must be a faithful husband. That's not saying they need to be married, but if they are married, to be faithful and to be a model of a faithful husband. Sober-minded, not prone to be carried away with their passions, self-controlled, not hot-headed or someone who loves to fight, and they need to be respectable. And I think this is someone who, uh, uh, who whoever sees their life and how they interact with anyone, with God and with people, that they are worthy of respect and saying, I want to follow that person as they follow Jesus. They have to be hospitable. This means being, uh, showing hospitality, being generous with what you have, both people who don't know Jesus and those who do. Uh, a leader needs to be able to teach. This doesn't mean, I don't think, upfront preaching, but they need to understand the gospel and the Bible so much so that if anyone comes to them, they can explain the Bible to them. Uh, they can understand uh, what the gospel says and help people to come to know him better. Uh, a leader shouldn't be given to drunkenness or, or heavy drinking, but rather self-controlled. Uh, and, and control the actions and words at all times. Not violent, but gentle. Not causing fights, but being, seeking, seeking peace with all people. Not quarrelsome, looking to, not looking to disagree. And a leader it shouldn't be a lover of money. Not greedy, but not about their personal wealth, but being generous. He says there, um, which I really like, they must manage your own household well. And then he goes on to say, if you can't manage your own family, how can you manage the church? And that, I think the implication is that church should be one big family where the elder at the front and the pastor loves that church like his family and looks after them. They can't do that at home. How can they do it in the church of God? That's what it's saying there. They mustn't be someone who's come to know Jesus, uh, just a recent, a recent convert. Uh, they've become full of pride or conceited. I think more they've been tested and tried as a, as a follower of Jesus. They've walked the walk for a while. They've gone through the ups and the downs. And they can help others to walk through the same walk. Um, uh, they must be thought well of outsiders, but I think it's a really interesting one. You know, so if someone in the church says to, to a, uh, someone who doesn't follow Jesus, hey, I'm a leader in the church, they shouldn't look at that person and go, really, you? But I see you at work all the time and you're horrible. So they've got to be thought well of outsiders, which I think is a really interesting one that God puts in here as well. And here, this, this, it, these are character traits, you know, the only one probably skill-based is teaching, but the rest are all about the heart, what they're like as a person. And, uh, and I really think this is what not only leaders should aim for, but we all should aim for. I don't think it's supposed to be this Paul's got in his mind, this super Christian. It's rather, this is a mature person. And this mature person should be in the position of leadership if they're like this. Uh, as some of you know, um, uh, which Jesus mentioned before a little bit, um, but I, I, went to a, uh, I went to a high school that was pretty, pretty rough. My high school was uh, shrinking in number. And so uh, to keep its numbers up, my high school would accept anybody who had kicked out of any school would come to my school. So we had a, like, from all over Sydney, it's a good idea, isn't it? Get all the kids who were kicked out of every school, just come to my school. That'd be a great time. And that's what was, uh, that was my experience of, of high school. And so um, being a teacher at my school was super, super hard. It was so hard. 
uh, you had to try and teach 14 and 15-year-old boys and girls who, one, didn't want to be at school. They hated school. And uh, two, uh, they just wanted to look cool in front of their friends at all costs. And so that meant cutting the teacher down regularly. They would just go at it. They would go at it. That was their aim. And so um, uh, that was a tough for a teacher. I felt, I felt sorry for this one teacher in particular who, uh, who was, he was uh, a woodwork teacher. He loved woodwork, uh, was great at carpentry, but um, didn't really love anyone who didn't love woodwork with him. So all these kids didn't love woodwork. <laughs> we just uh, loved making fun of him. And uh, so we'd muck around a lot in class. We would, uh, we would do things like, um, to each other, we would uh, get a nail and a hammer and nail our ba- other people's bags to the, to the desk. And, so, and then you'd say, okay, let's have a race, you go first. And then you'd run and the person with the nail in their bag would fall back and everyone would high five and laugh at them. Um, or we would get, you know, the really heavy power tools and put them in kids' bags, the expensive ones, and put them in the quiet kids' bag. And uh, the teacher would say, come on, no one's leaving until we give the tools back. And we'd say, okay, bag search, let's search bags, guys. And the quiet kid would get detentions, you know. No, I know, everyone's going, it's so slack, and it was so slack. It wasn't me, I just, wa- I just watched. Anyway, um, I remember one day, this one day, this woodwork teacher had to go to the staff room anyway, and uh, he went to the staff room, and there was these two kids in my class, they were the real tough guys, who said nothing, and, but they, you knew they could, you know, kill you in a second if they wanted to, um, they were really tough, and one day, um, they had enough of this teacher, and so the teacher left the classroom, first mistake, right, leaving <laughs> these kids in the classroom by ourselves, and uh, they got about 10 or 15 desks, the really heavy ones, and pushed them up against the door, and so the teacher couldn't, couldn't get back in the classroom, he was done, and so they pushed all the tables, and the teacher's knocking on the door, and then we opened the window, early lunch, out we went, and uh, jumped out of the, of the window, and I, I felt so sorry for the teacher, like I didn't help, I, I was feeling sorry to I jumped out the window, but I, um, I felt so sorry for that, for that teacher, uh, trying to teach a bunch of teenagers like that, and to lead them would be so, so hard, I actually went back to my high school when I finished um, finished year 12, and to, be do a, to, to become a scripture teacher, which was like Daniel the Lions then. Like, I was just ripped to shreds. I had no teaching experience. Like, they'd throw me in and say, okay, you've got year nine, uh, last period on front afternoon, uh, and they're all boys. Good luck with that. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, do something in this room, man, because, you know, um, it, was, it was hard. It was so hard um, uh, trying to control a rowdy bunch of teenagers who just hated it. And being a leader, being in charge of a class, a group of people, a business, a church, leadership is really difficult. It's really difficult. I've been in ministry for about 13 years or so. I started when I was early 20s and I was a youth pastor, overseeing teenagers and, 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 and leaders and then young adults pastor and now here. And it's tough and it's really hard. I, I, I love what I do. I love being a leader. I enjoy responsibility. But I also find it really hard at points. And when I read 1 Timothy and it speaks of this character that God calls his leaders to have, I'm like, that, that, that is a tough standard. That, that is hard. That is really hard. It almost seems impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. But I, but I show you that and I show you the character of a leader because I want you to know that that's what we aim for here at City Light. The leaders we have here and the, and the future leaders we have here, this is our standard we go by. Uh, this is the character we are looking for in leadership. You know, in a little while, I'm going to talk about the changes we're going to make and how we're going to appoint elders, but I want you to be confident that the elders that we have will, have, will be aiming or have that level of maturity from 1 Timothy 3. That's what we're aiming for. 
As I think about that, and I think about we want to appoint leaders, elders, and that sort of stuff, is, but we, I don't want us to be passive in that. Well, what I would love for us to have as a church culture is, uh, and, and we do, but I keep working on it, is a church that really works hard to support the leaders of church. This is a little weird come from me as I'm one of the leaders, so I'm saying, yeah, support me. But, it's, but I, want, I want to show you why this is really important. Um, Hebrews 13, I think it's 13.7, I think is what it says. Um, have a look at this, because I think this makes sense. Open the screen, there it is. It says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who are given account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for, for that would be of no advantage to you. I think I read that, and as, as someone who's in leadership, I read that and I think, wow, so my, my, my call is to watch over the souls of the flock, of the church, which I think, wow, that, that's a big deal. And then it goes on to say, as the leader will have to give an account on the last day. So what I understand that to mean is on the last day, I'm going to stand before Jesus, and Jesus will go, Gav, how did you go at keeping watch over the flock at City Light? He'll call me an account for that. But I think, wow, that's, that's pretty intense. But I love what it says after that. So then it says, for, the, for those of the flock of the, 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 you're keeping watch over, it says, they are to make the leader's job a joy. Don't follow them begrudgingly or in moaning or groaning because no one wins. So the idea is, is if you have a church a congregation that, that just moans and, and, and is not a joy to, to lead, the congregation doesn't enjoy it and the leaders enjoy it. Nobody wins in that game. Everyone finds that really, really hard. So I want to say, here's how I think, from my perspective, how to bless and support leaders. And I want to say the first thing is to really to pray for them regularly. I am, Jez is, we are just fallen, sinful human beings who need God's grace as much as you guys do. Really are. Oh, I ask you to pray for our relationship with Jesus. And then, you know, for me, if I pray for someone, I tell them I'm praying for them. That's super encouraging. I haven't prayed for you today. I'd say, you know, ask leaders how they're going. You know, I think often um, I've experienced experienced this at points. Leadership can be super lonely. It can be really lonely. So I'd say pray pray for leaders. Second way to bless leadership is is to joyfully participate in the life of the church. John 3, John 3, John 4 says, this is John speaking, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. I think that I feel I I get so encouraged. Probably the most encouraging thing in my life is to see people love Jesus more. I I shared a little while ago, someone who I've been talking with became a Christian a little while ago, about three or four months ago, maybe longer, five months ago. And I said to them, You loving Jesus will do me for the next three years to keep me going. I'm so encouraged seeing people love Jesus, love others, be involved in the church. I think it's such a cool thing. Uh, So participate joyfully in the church. Third, um, let them know you appreciate them. Uh, I just want to quickly say that I think this is probably one of the most supportive, appreciative churches around. And so don't hear me saying that no one says thanks. Because I really, uh, there is very little sense or hardly any at all uh, of, of criticism or gossip about the leadership here, which I just love. That, that is such a blessing as a leader. But I want us to keep having a culture of thankfulness for whoever serves up here for the band, for the sound AV guys, for the person who leads, who preaches. I love that culture. But we are thankful to God for those who is gifted to serve the church. I want to keep that going. You know, I, I think sometimes we can forget that people in leadership are real people. 
We have real feelings. Um, and I think sometimes that can be forgotten. And so I want to say, um, let, let's keep that culture going. Uh, fourthly and lastly, I want to say respect and uphold your leaders. This may sound a little bit, bit forward, but I think the Bible, I, I know the Bible says this. If you don't respect your leader in your church, you shouldn't be at that church. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 says that. If you don't respect the leader at your church, you shouldn't be there and shouldn't be under them. Um, I'd say also refuse to listen to slander and gossip against your leaders. You know, we, we try and work really, really hard at being approachable leaders here. If any issues or worries, talk straight to us about that. Um, we, want, we, want to, we want to be leaders who you can come and talk to about that. We are a family. We do that. Uh, I would say that God appoints leaders for actually for the purpose of growing you guys, um, for your health and for your growth and for maturity. And ultimately, the church's leaders are God's primary means for his care for his own people. And we are just, we are just uh, uh, under-shepherds of the good shepherd, Jesus. Now, as the famous hymn states, the journey of the Christian life is fraught with many dangers, toils, and, sh- and snares. And leadership in the church provides care along that journey. I see my role as a pastor is to help you to keep on walking that journey. And my greatest joy will be when we get to glory and we see each other face to face and say, hey, we made it. We are home. And we encourage one another to get there. So I want to say that we want to, that's the point, I think, of, of, of leadership is to help you to grow, love Jesus more, and get to the end. That's what the character, I think the Bible speaks the character of a leader. But I want to go to how a leader is to lead. And I want to jump back to Acts 20 um, just to show you what Paul has to say, one of the greatest leaders of the Bible. Um, uh, Jesus said that Paul had three missionary journeys and he landed at a place called Ephesus that he really loved. He established a church there. He really loved it. Um, and he spends three whole years there with this, with this young church. And then he leaves after three years and he heads up north to a place called uh, to Miletus. And then he travels back down the coast on a ship and uh, he knows he's going back to Jerusalem. And he knows that he won't probably return ever again to this, this region. And so uh, he wants to drop back into Ephesus to see these leaders for the one last time because he knows if the leaders go well, the church will go well. And so we get this amazing speech. Uh, it is, it's, his fare, it's called his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. And look at what he says uh, to, to this church. He starts by reminding them of what he was like with them. He's almost saying, look, you can follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow my way. Look at, uh, look at sentence 18 and 21 being on the screen. It says, uh, And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with humility, with tears, and the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. And I didn't shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you in public, in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. The thing that Paul says about how he served is he served the Lord. The first thing he did was serve the Lord. We see that from sentence 18 and 21, he unpacks what this means. Let me just point out a few. He says, I serve the Lord with humility. So he's saying a leader serves the Lord with humility. And we said last week, what does humility mean? Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It actually means understanding who you are in light of who God is. That we are mere creatures dependent on a creator for everything. That is who we are. So being a humble servant of the Lord means having a spirit of submissiveness to the Lord, Jesus. 
being clay in the potter's hands, whatever he has us to do. And humility, I think, is really important as a leader because if you get humility, then it affects how you relate to other people. See, if I get I'm just a sinner and in need of God's grace, and so are you, we're on the same playing field. It's not me and you, it's us together. It's humility. And that's what Paul says here is the importance of a leader is humility. And I think the opposite of humility is feeling like people owe you something or they're in debt to you or that it's, that's, that's you than them. But humility doesn't think in terms of rights. It enters itself and takes on the form of a servant and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's humility. That's what Paul is saying, serve the Lord with humility. He then goes on to say, serve the Lord with humility and with tears. I think this is a really interesting one. In Genesis 31, he says, I did not cease to admonish you day and night with tears. And Paul, we've read in, you read in Ephesians and in Acts, that he has this intense love for this church, for their holiness, for their growth. He loves it dearly. And so he's serving the Lord, he's serving the Lord, he's serving the church here with tears. That means getting involved with people's struggles, helping them fight the good fight of faith, helping them to hang in there to following Jesus, crying and weeping over them when they wander away. Getting alongside them, weeping with them when they suffer. Paul sheds a lot of, lots of tears with this church. He serves the Lord with humility and with tears. And thirdly, I'll leave it at this, serving the Lord for Paul means courage. Sentence 20 says, I didn't shrink back from proclaiming anything that was profitable, from, in, either from public or house to house. And Paul says he, a good leader will say what needs to be said, no matter if it's popular or it's easy or hard to say. He won't say, a good leader doesn't say things based on whether they person's going to like it or not. They say it based on whether this will help them to love Jesus more. And that takes courage to do that. It takes courage. That's really hard. And I, I love what Paul says here that he went to house to house. It was personal ministry. It wasn't just preaching from the front. It was getting in the mud with people side by side, telling them the gospel and how much they are loved by Jesus. Paul shows that through his ministry and how he lived in leadership, it was about serving the Lord and serving others with humility, with tears, and with courage. But you think about this style of leadership, and you think about experience of leaders you've had, and I think this is a little backwards sometimes. We don't often think about leadership as service, as putting yourself below people. You know, just recently, I, um, I went up to the Gold Coast for a family holiday, um, and uh, we decided to drive from Sydney to Gold Coast in one hit through the night. Seemed like a good idea at the time. It was horrible. And um, at about 1.30 a.m., I can remember, um, my kids were sleeping in the car. They just got to sleep. Katie was asleep in the car. I was so tired. This is bad. We get to the point of just resting one eye at a time. And I'm just so tired. I'm like, it doesn't work. It makes you feel worse. But I'm, I'm so tired. Anyway, I remember I was feeling like that, driving along. And then all of a sudden, at 1.30, flashing lights, police lights behind me. I'm like, oh, police car pulls me over, my kids wake up, daddy, why is the policeman here? I'm like, shh, just go to sleep, go to sleep. And, um, and he comes over to the window and says, you know that you were doing 40k, a 60k in a 40k work zone? I'm like, no, I didn't. He said, look, you know, that's like 20k over. I'm like, oh man, okay. So he goes back to his car and he comes back to me and says, look, he said, um, I'm going to lower the fine for you, I'm going to put it under 15k's for you and that'll save about $200 or so. He said, and then also, on the back of this uh, fine here is a number you can call that, um, you know, if you haven't had a speeding fine for a while, you actually can get off this fine. And so I want to help you get out of this. I'm like, 
Wow, sweet, man. You're a good guy. <laughs> Policemen are great, aren't they, Chris? Um, uh, it, was, it was amazing. And so this guy, like, I thought policemen were there to, you know, enforce the law, which was good, and, then, and to give fines in case people step out of line, but not to help me get off fines. I found a good one. And uh, it, was, it was amazing. It was really cool. But I didn't think that was his job. I think it was a little bit backwards, I thought. But I think it's the same here with these, with these uh, what Paul's talking about here in leadership with the, Eph- with the Ephesians church. And we think about leadership, and normally it's about um, trying, to, trying to get a position of, of authority, using the authority of the people, is climbing the ladder, the corporate ladder, and getting promotions and getting pay rises and getting these outcomes and your KPIs and all that sort of stuff. But when you look at leadership in the Bible and church leadership, Paul's saying that's, that's not it. It's actually about service and humility and lowering yourself and becoming under people and serving them, even at the, sake of, even at the cost of yourself at points. Church ministry, church leadership ministry is not about climbing the ladder, gaining power, gaining more control, or using authority to make yourself look great. Often you make yourself look even worse, putting yourself out there. It's about humility. You know, and, and, and as I mentioned last week, the model of this is Jesus. You remember Mark 10.45, a great memory verse. It says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, uh, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what the chief shepherd does. He says, if you're going to be under him as a leader, follow his ways. I want to say here, any leader, any elder here at City Light will serve the church, will love the church, will lay down their life for the church, just as Jesus has done. And they'll be wholeheartedly committed to see this church grow, whatever it takes. I think um, Jez and I have been talking at this age, we've been talking about eldership for the last year. And I think Jez put it really well the other day. We were talking, and Jez said, um, we want leaders, we want elders that just, you know, just say, worst case scenario, church starts going downhill, numbers shrink, our money's not there, whatever it is. We want the elders to be the last ones to jump ship because they are so committed to this thing that they are in. So we want leaders and elders to be like people who serve, who serve the Lord and serve the saints here at City Light. That's how we're going to serve here and leaders are going to serve here. But finally, the role of a leader. Um, as I've mentioned here at City Light, we've decided to, to change our leadership structure and uh, hopefully you've seen what we're talking about, character and how they had to lead. But up until now, we've had a thing called a leadership committee um, it's like an admin committee that oversaw the governance of the church primarily. Um, and uh, they oversaw policy and management. And it's worked well for a while. We've, had a few, we've, we've, we've noticed as we've worked through this that there's been a few problems or a few little um, areas to improve on. Firstly, um, the leadership structure, it was, it was difficult to see the biblical connection. At City Light, we want to do everything that's based upon the Bible. So when we see from the Bible, we want to see how it translates into church life for us. We couldn't see a clear connection. Uh, secondly, we wanted more accountability around the pastors and leaders. Um, churches go off track mostly when the leaders go off track. And it causes so much hurt and so much damage in some people's lives. And so we wanted accountability, more of that are built around the leaders of the church. And thirdly, there wasn't enough clear visibility in who the leadership committee was and what they did day to day. And so we want to fix this, and we want to change this. So after a lot of thinking and praying, as I said, this is about a nine months to a year's work of thinking and praying and reading and reading and reading and reading that we've come to this. Um, and I think with this, new ma- with this new structure we're trying to go for with eldership, I think it answers those three major objections. And don't worry if you're not, if you're not fully tracking with this. Um, 
I've just written um, a 40-page document you can read. I know, it's funny, but it's not really. I have written it, and it took me a long time, and it was heavy. Anyway, uh, but uh, I'm going to chuck that up on our Facebook group so you can read um, and have a look at that. Um, so you can have all your answers, uh, questions answered. Jess is also going to make a cool little video to explain how it's all going to work going forward. But also, um, Sunday we, next Sunday, we're going to have a Q&A time uh, after church. So if you have any questions after reading the document, watching the video, discussing it, if you have any questions, we want to be up the front answering any question you have to be really transparent uh, about this leadership stuff so we all get it. So that's what we're going to try and do going forward from here. Um, but one of the big reasons we moved from our leadership committee to, the, to, the, to eldership is because it's what you read in the Bible. Every New Testament church that started, elders are, elders are appointed. And it's not just an elder, but it's elders, it's plural. So we're going for a plural elder structure. That's what we're going for. Um, and hopefully, as I've explained, um, showing you what sort of elders I'll be like and how they will lead. But I want to finish with just really briefly, what will an elder do in this church? I want to show you one more passage, 1 Peter 5. Um, this will be really quick, and, um, and then we'll finish up. 1 Peter 5 says this, So I exhort you, uh, the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge or being example for the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Three things, three things an elder is to do, I think, biblically. First one, they had to shepherd the flock, God's flock. And a shepherd, what does it think of a shepherd? What does it do? It sort of looks after the sheep. It guards the sheep. It feeds the sheep. It takes care of the sheep as a whole, but it takes care of the sheep individually. The parable of the lost, of the, of the lost sheep, what does Jesus do? He goes after the one and brings it back. I think shepherding is also about the, the, the individual and knowing the individual and caring for the individual as well as the whole. Elders shepherd the flock. They are, they are shepherds. Two, elders exercise oversight as it says in sentence two. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have them, not for shameful gain or, or being domineering over those in charge, but being examples. Uh, elders are examples of the faith as they exercise oversight with governance and money and fight, all that sort of stuff. But they do oversight as well. Third thing they do is they teach. And this is part of shepherding as well. We saw it in 1 Timothy. That's not they teach up the front. They keep the church on track theologically, in line with the Bible. That's why it's so important with understanding who they are. Because they're going to drive the church forward with what the Bible has to say. So it's shepherd, it's oversight, it's to teach. The three things that I see biblically that an elder does. I think one thing that's really interesting with the word elder in the New Testament, for the word for elder in the Greek is the same as pastor, overseer, and shepherd. It's all the same word. As a leader, I think the word, I think the word elder shows mature, uh, uh, emphasizes maturity. The term shepherd, pastor, and oversight shows what they do. I think that's how it works out. But to finish, I want to finish this up. And um, I want to finish up with a quote uh, from a man who has greatly shaped me in my pastoral ministry. Um, and I've never met him before because he lived, 600 years, uh, lived 400 years ago, so I couldn't meet him. But um, he was an incredible pastor, and I read his book called Reform Pastor. His name is Richard, Richard Baxter, um, the Puritan. And I love this guy because he, um, he went to a town called Kidderminster in the UK, and when he went there, there was, no one, there was no one who knew Jesus, very few, a rough town. By the time he left his ministry, the whole town had come to know Jesus. Um, he's a great man of church history, um, and he's a great pastor. 
This is what he says about pastoral ministry and about elders and leaders. It says, it is, you, it is you see all the flock of every individual member, member of your charge. To this end, it is necessary that we should know every person that belongs to our charge or our congregation or our flock. For how can we take heed to them if we do not know them? Doth not, be, not, not a careful shepherd look after every individual sheep? A schoolmaster after every individual student? A good physician after every particular patient? Paul taught his hearers not only publicly but from house to house. And in another place, he tells us that he, war- that he warned everyone and taught everyone in all wisdom that he might present everyone perfect in Christ Jesus. I want our elders, our leaders, to know the people that God has given to us to care for so that we can help them to grow in their maturity in Christ Jesus. And out of that, go and make more disciples. And as we go toward this new eldership structure, I'm super excited to see not just you know, a, a, a few uh, leaders and elders, but a bunch of them who are keen to love and serve you guys, to help you love Jesus more. You know, and, and you know, today might have been more of a, a more of a sermon, more on leadership and, and what's going on here, and rather than a real pump up passion for, for for Jesus. But if we get this right, I think this is going to serve us for so much for the years going forward, as we continue to grow, uh, plant more churches as we uh, understand how to, how to reach more people for Jesus with leaders who are passionate about that and who are committed to this church. I want to invite the band up to, uh, to lead us in worship. Um, but as they do that, this time of reflection, what I want to ask you to do is something a little different. I want you to, um, I want you to pray. I'd love you to pray. If, if, if you know Jesus and you're comfortable praying you know, this by yourself, I'd love you to pray for us as leaders. Um, as, we, as we step forward, there's been a lot of work, a lot of thought has gone into this, like I'm saying, nine months to a year on this. But as now we get to the, sort of the end of the road where we actually start to appoint leaders and elders in this church, that is not an easy thing to do. We want to get the right people. Um, you look at 1 Timothy 3 and how they're to lead and, and, their, and their heart for the church. I'd love for you to pray for wisdom as we think about who that should be. And this is not a small and light thing to be an elder or a pastor in a church. It means, it means committing to it and seeing it as your family that you care for, that you'll have to give an account for on the final day. That, that is massive. There's going to be a bunch of elders. Some are going to be full-time paid staff like Jez and I. Others won't be full-time paid staff. There's going to be vocational guys who work jobs during the week. But who come together and are committed to see the church grow here at City Light. And so I'd love for you to pray for wisdom for us. We're going to try and get you involved in this process. Too. It's not going to be us saying... These new elders, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work together on this. We're gonna bring some uh, and some people forward and nominate them, and then we're gonna say, "When it be thirty days, if you have uh, think why these people shouldn't be elders biblically, come and talk to us." I want it to be a process to work with together. But I'd love you to pray for us as we go forward. This is both exciting and a little daunting, but I'd love you to pray for us for wisdom uh, that God would appoint and show us the right people, and this will be a blessing for our church as we go forward. Give me time to pray.